0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news, uh, the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 10. Let's share in God's good word together. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You are not that important. Look, look at somebody beside you. Say, you're not that important. You're not that important. You're just not. But, but there's a there's a. But there is the rest of the sermon. You're not that important. But here's the thing. Um, We are going through this sermon series on unlocking these five lessons that everyone can learn. Everyone needs to learn. But often we have simply stopped teaching these core truths, hard truths um, that are universally true. Uh, And last week um, we learned that life is hard. Will you say that with me? Life is hard. It just is. It is for everybody at some time and some place. And so as a way of, of introduction, the whole reason for this sermon series is that God liberates us from ourselves for something bigger. From ourselves for something bigger. And, and what, this, what happens is if we don't allow God to work in our lives and to liberate us from our own selves, then we participate in, in what I would call our common pain of being human. But it doesn't need hatred. It needs healing. And so often when people come into pain, what we find is that Hatred often follows, as does blaming and scapegoating, but that's not the world needs any more of. We've got plenty of that. What we need is healing, because when you get better, the people around you get better. So this sermon series is designed to help us heal collectively uh, as a community, as a church, as a community, uh, together, and to show us how to do it practically. How do we participate in this healing of God, the bringing of the kingdom of God into this world where what God wants done is done? Well, the problem really for all of these um, lessons that we're trying to get on top of is that we have a comfort crisis, a comfort crisis. We have a comfort crisis. Will you say that with me? We have a comfort crisis. So I I shared this with you last week, but it's worth repeating, particularly this season of the year. We now spend about 93% of our time indoors in climate control, which I'm grateful for in the summers in Oklahoma. But it has a downside. Michael Easter, in his book of the same name, The Comfort Crisis, he says, we are living progressively sheltered, sterile, temperature-controlled, overfed, under-challenged, safety-netted lives. And when we live like that, we forget that life is hard. And we try to run from pain rather than embrace it and learn from it. So we've lost this practice of initiating young people and therefore older people as well into these five lessons or hard truths of life. And so last week, uh, lesson one, uh, yeah, we, it was that we need to not have our young people run from pain. Now, it's not pain for pain's sake, but we don't run from it. We learn from it. And so this is so important because Father Richard Rohr, he's a Franciscan monk. He's now in his 80s. And he says it like this, if we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it in some other form. If we do not transform our pain, we will transmit it in some form. The Bible talks about this in terms of generational curses. that somebody gets passed down generation to generation to generation to generation, if it is not transformed, it will be transmitted. And we see this with alcoholism, addiction, abuse, trauma, over and over and over. If, if it's not going to be transformed, it will be transmitted. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be the one that stop it in our family line? Does it stop with me? Does this nonsense, does this pain, does it stop here? We're not going to give it to our kids, not one more generation. We're going to ask God to come in and transform it. We're going to be a part of a community that transforms it so that we no longer transmit it. And so when we start to lose the ability to face pain and to deal with it, if we always take the easier way, we miss the fullness of life that God intends for us, for all of us. Um, the scripture actually says, and I, I remember this so clearly as a boy, uh, I spent about five years at First Methodist Bartlesville, and they had this huge stained glass window. And on one side, it had this wide, big path, and it had um, all kinds of, it was just easy. And at the top of it um, was a serpent, the devil, and it, and it led into destruction. And the other side had thorns and weeds and scary stuff. And then there was beauty at the top of it. And it was based on this scripture in Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to what? Destruction. Anybody can take it. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. This is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And so um, this... This idea of comfort, of always trying to be in comfort, uh, of not having pain, of running from pain, of numbing ourselves with all kinds of things, video games or um, alcohol or other drugs or whatever it may be. There's a really big downside to this, and it, it basically boils down to this to me, and that is that people who avoid failure also avoid success, right? Because if you can't fail, you can't do anything. If you can't learn and grow and fail, then you cannot learn how to move through that. And so often we don't do things because we don't yet know how to do them. So we just don't do them at all, rather than learning from them. People who avoid failure also avoid success. And many of you all know this. You're very successful people. You know that the first time you tried to do something really hard, it didn't go well. Any of you all ever do some do-it-at-home projects for the first time? I find that it takes me at least twice as long. And it's about three times as expensive. Uh, a couple of years ago, I saw a truck come by our, our neighborhood, and it simply said, on the side of the truck, "We repair what your husband tried to fix." But <laughs> I mean, oh, that's, that's me, for sure. But Jesus promises us this, in this time that is hard. He says, "If we'll follow Him in doing Jesus' will, we'll find rest for our souls. No longer frustration, no longer transmitting pain. But we can trust him to transform us. Jesus Jesus calls out to us. He says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my way of life, God's will, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for the center of your life, for your picker, for the one that chooses life or death, pain or ease, learning or numbness. Andy Stanley has a way of just really getting to the point of these things. He says, getting something out of our struggles is more important than getting out of our struggles. And that's, that's really the lesson from week one. So our action step was to do hard things. I actually encouraged you to do something that you're, you know, that you're bad at. Intentionally do that and just remind yourself that you're loved anyway. Um, as I was studying up for this week, I came across U.S. Navy Special Warfare Commander Brian Losey. He says this, human greatness seldom rises from a perch of comfort and ease. Isn't that true? I mean, would you really want our armed forces to, you know, get ready to go defend us by playing Call of Duty? Probably not. That's not a good plan. Right? The things that are hard are hard. And we need to do them to prepare ourselves for a world that is hard. So we come to our second lesson uh, of the five, and that is that you're not that important. You and I, were not that important. I want you to think about this. You are one person, right? And so about this section here, we have about 100 people. About this section over here, we have about 100 people. Just so think about that. And so if you took this 100 people and you did it 10 more times, can you imagine that, 10 more times or five more times of, of this? I mean, that's, that's a lot of folks, right? So then you're at 1,000. If you do 10 of those, of that 1,000, right, and then you do 10 more, and then you get to a million, I mean, okay, so, so OU football stadium, 80,000, right? Edmond, Oklahoma, 90, 94,000, roughly. Okay, so, you, so you've got this. You think about what that is, what 80,000 people look like. Okay, so then multiply that, and then ultimately we're going to get to a million. And then we're going to get to a billion, right, which is 1,000 million. Right, you, you can't even hardly hold this in your head now. And then there's seven billion people on the planet. And there's you. Right? And so you're one of seven billion people on the Earth. And the Earth is one of eight planets. Poor Pluto. <laughs> in, in roughly one of a hundred billion stars or star systems. In one of two trillion galaxies. Right? That, that's how significant you are, right? You, you look like this. Can you find yourself? That's the earth. You're not that important, but, but. Now, and Now, even the very best of us on this world, we, if we're not careful, right? If you sit at home, and you're on your little device, and, and you control every thought that comes in your head, and you can see anything in the world... You, you can think you're your big deal. You can actually say anything you want to anybody on social media. Ooh, the power. Do you think anybody cares what you have to say? Why should they care what you have to say? So even the very best of us in terms of athleticism. Uh, some of you, you know who the fastest person on earth is, right? Yes, you do? Yeah, sure. And the fastest human who's ever covered 100 meters, is 9.58 sec- seconds, and that's 23 miles per hour on average, right? And he looks like this. I mean, he's amazing. The world's fastest man, Usain Bolt. And so he, he holds the world record there at 9.58 seconds. And you can start to see the crowd around him. And, and we're interested because he is fast. It's phenomenal. He, nobody else can beat him, right? I mean, this is the fastest guy. Tens of thousands of people fill stadiums to watch him run 100 yards. 23 miles per hour on average. That's impressive. Until I remember that even my dog Peanut runs 30 miles per hour (laughs) in short distances. Poor Usain. That guy's going to beat him in a contest. I mean, Usain Bolt, this guy. This guy's going to win in short distances. Isn't that silly? We lift up this guy as like the best athlete in the world, fastest man in the world, and my schnoodle can beat him. Google it, seriously. 23 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour. True story. Now, what's also true is that you're just like, well, how did humanity survive, if that's true? Well, tenacity. Because even though antelopes can run super, super fast, even faster than peanut, they get tired, and they don't sweat. And ultimately, after about 25 miles, about a day of following them, they just simply fall over dead. And you spare them, you take them home, and you eat. just got to hang with it. But being the fastest person on the earth, it's not that big a deal. See, you're not all that important, but you are to God. And that's the most important thing about you. Father Rohr says it like this. He says, your importance is given and bestowed in this universe. It's given to you, which is the unbreakable covenant between you and your creator. God made you and says, good, you're good. You are declared important by God. You cannot declare yourself important. And you, you know how silly that looks when somebody stands by like, look at me, look at me, I'm important. Everybody else around them goes, dude, if you have to say it, you're not. Right? But people do that. Look at me, look at me, look at me. You are important, but because it's because God says you are. And we, you and I, if we're wise, we're going to learn to live with the earthly reality of impermanence everything that you see will disappear every person in the room will die and become dust from dust we are created to dust we shall return we remember that every year dash wednesday the wisdom literature in ecclesiastes it says this then i considered all that my hands had done solomon the great king and the toil i'd spent in doing it and again all was vanity a chasing after the wind there was nothing to be gained under the sun not a thing But still, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you or any of his children. The prophet Isaiah would say it like this. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? No, of course not. Even these may forget, maybe, yet I will not forget you, says the Lord. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God has each and every one of you right in front of him all the time and he loves you, calls you good and loves you so much that he would come and die for you. Give everything that he could give that you would know his love. You're very important to him. And so the solution to, oh my gosh, I'm one of seven billion people on this little planet in this you know, solar system in this huge galaxy is that, well, Jesus says your name is written in heaven which is even bigger than that. Longer than that. Because eternity is forever. Has no beginning, has no end. And so Jesus, in our lesson today in Luke 10, he sends out these 70, which is important, friends, because we represent the 70. Right There's the disciples, the 12, but then there's another 70 that he sends out. People that were following him in some way. Not as close as the disciples, but they were following him. So he sends them out. And they come back and they are amazed that they can do things that even the disciples couldn't do. You might remember other stories where the disciples would come to Jesus and say, we couldn't get that demon out of this guy. What is it? And Jesus like, well, that only you know, comes with prayer. And they were really frustrated. And here are these people that don't know anything. They go out in Jesus' name. And, and here, here's this. They, the demons submit to them, even the spirits of the world. right? Not, not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm as well. And Jesus says this to them. He he, he warns them not to get too arrogant. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, this thing that only you've been able to do. The Spirit submit to you, yes, but, but, don't get caught up in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the important part of the story, Jesus says. Because when you understand that you belong in heaven, you belong to the family of God, when you know this, when you belong to the eternal family of God, the small passing family no longer defines you. When you think about that, people have spent years and years and years, myself included, in therapy to try to overcome the problems of our family systems. And nothing wrong with that. That's good. I hope you look into that. It has going to have some very powerful insights. But the bottom line is, if you allow Christ to come and live in you, if you say yes to the family of God, you can't say no to the pain and the hurt of your family system of this earth. You can trade it. You no longer have to believe anything that anybody says about you. Because you know who you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. When weird Uncle Bob comes and says, you're never going to be any good, you're like, that's not who God says I am. You may not know it yet, but my name is written in heaven. I'm going to live forever, and there's nothing you can do about it, Bob, or Bill, or Will, or whatever, whatever the name is, right? But there's always been somebody in your life that has said that you're not as good. You don't measure up. I remember when I was uh, a little boy, I, um, I'm a terrible artist. I'm, I'm really not very good at it at all. But part of the reason that is, is when I was in first grade, I, um, I won a contest. I got first place. It was one of those American Heart Association, you know, don't smoke, make a poster. I made a poster. And I was so proud of it. And uh, I showed it to somebody who was very important to me. And they're the, And rather than saying, well, good job or whatever, they just said, you don't smoke. Like, why, why would you even spend your time doing that? That's not a, that's not a thing. And I didn't draw anymore. I, I just didn't. Now, to be fair, it wasn't a great poster. <laughs> but all of us have those moments in our lives where we give up too quickly because somebody said something that wasn't the truth about you. You're not who they say you are. You're who God says you are. That's what's important about you. Some of you follow Bob Goff with me. I think he's a, a, just a great writer and, and fun, a fun person to follow. He says it like this. He says, you are not the average of the five most insecure people who have an opinion about your life. Right? You're not that. You don't have to pay attention to that. Your baptism says, right? Your baptism, God's act through the church says, you are bigger than your worst flaws, bigger than your worst day, and you are saved for something better than your ego. Bigger and better than your ego. You don't have to worry about what other people say. You don't have to worry about your failures. Your baptism says you belong to something much bigger than that. To us, to the larger church, to God, to heaven itself. Again, Father War says that the soul needs meaning, As much as the body needs food. And we have meaning, we need very little else. When we don't have meaning, we can never have enough toys. I see this quite acutely with men who are retiring. Who will I be? What will my title be? What will I do? Who am I? Isn't it interesting that when you go into a social situation, people will be like, Hey, well, what do you do? few of us say laundry, right? Or I mow the lawn or I plant roses because what they're looking for, and you know what they're looking for is we're about to measure each other up by your title, by your job, by your earning capacity, which is not anywhere close to the most important thing about you because all that goes away. The most important thing about you is who you are, what your character is. Who you are when no one's looking because you belong in the palm of God's hand so here's the good news: you are infinite and unearned importance you are of infinite and unearned importance. nobody can measure how much worth you have except for God, but make no mistake you didn't earn it. nobody earns it. you still earn it right I used to have a t-shirt that I wear to camp um, it would say on the front it said. There is a God. And all the kids be like, yeah, there's a God. And on the back it says, and you're not him. And they're like, oh, man. Right? Psalm 139 reminds us of this. It says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? For it was you, you, O God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. This is who we are, written on the palm of God's hand. Now, you and I, you've heard this. You've heard that hurt people hurt people. That's true. But I've got some even better news. Transform people, transform people. That's who we want to be. Transform people, transform people. Say that with me. Transform people tend to transform people. We have the the power of God within us. To make a difference in this world. To simply be the light where you are. You don't have to work hard at it. It simply enlightens everything around you. By simply being you. Not by your title. Not by your name. Not by your earning power. But simply by being present in the midst of a world that is hard. So again, back to Luke 10. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town, every place where Jesus intended to go, and he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, him, to send out labors into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Does that sound like a good idea? No, it is a hard world. We're not that strong. Jesus said, but I'm with you. That's why you don't have to carry a purse or a bag or sandals, and you don't greet anyone on the road. Now, that seems wrong, doesn't it? Like, that's anti-evangelism. It's not. He's simply saying, stay singularly focused, right? If you're going there, don't stop and be diverted. That's all that means. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in your peace, your peace will rest on that person simply by you being there. But if not, it will return to you. So Jesus says, go be yourself. Go have me in you and simply be there with no agenda, no expectation. Let me lead, you follow, and let my peace flow from you to others. But make no mistake, it can't be your agenda. You actually eat the food that's presented to you, whether you like it or not. You stay where a person of peace invites you to stay, whether the bed is comfortable or not. William Barclay, around this passage, says it's like this. He says, humility is the passport to the presence of God. Humility is the passport to the presence of God. And he's, he's referring to this truth that the love of God is more caught than taught. Matter of fact, I don't know that I've ever met anyone in my entire life or my ministry where somebody read a book or was yelled at or argued at until they found Jesus. I've never known that. But I know a lot of folks that caught the love of God from their grandma or their uncle or their sister or their brother. Scripture says the 70 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even in your name, the demons submit to us. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, okay. And and Jesus says, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. By the way, friends, most scholars believe this is not literal. These are representative metaphors for the evils of the world, snakes and scorpions. And nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this. Yes, God has given us the authority to go out in his name and and to be unharmed in his power. But, he says, don't even that, don't rejoice at that, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the most important thing about you. And we have to get this right because the only thing more dangerous than ignorance is arrogance. Ignorance is not good, but you can get out of that. Arrogance, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because if you're not teachable, then you're in trouble. And I mean, it just slays me that people will come to our church and other churches and they will criticize me because I don't agree with them. Okay, well, let's talk this out. Or that I've had the audacity to change my mind because I've been educated. When's the last time you changed your mind about something? That's too long. Right? We are to be people who learn, who are constantly evolving to the love and the spirit of Christ. The only thing more d- dangerous than ignorance is arrogance. And I'm, I'm, I'm deeply saddened When I engage with these folks, because I know that their life is hard. Because they're becoming more and more isolated. Because I've never known anybody to agree with me or anyone else on everything. Have you? And so if you have to agree on everything, you're going to be by yourself. That's the way that works. So the most important thing about us, friends, is our openness to being used by God. That's what's important about you. Because what can you do with God? Anything you want you to. Right? You can do anything with God. Our importance is in our openness to being used by God. That's the most important thing about you. And nothing we could claim or defend is our own. And Paul says this very clearly throughout the New Testament. He's like, don't look at me. Look at Christ. Look at Christ and him crucified. Again, William Barclay on the scripture, he says, Jesus warns his disciples against pride and overconfidence. It was true that they were given all power. But their greatest glory was that their names were written in heaven. Our greatest glory is not what we have done, but what God has done for us in Jesus on the cross. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit often leads us to do things that we could never do on our own. It allows us to change our mind, to learn and to grow and to show love in the face of hate. To listen rather than speak. When you know the person speaking doesn't know what they're talking about. And you just have to hold on and pray and respond in love. You don't have to engage in every argument or fight that you're invited to. Jesus didn't do that. Let those things go on by. And let his love reign with you, through you, to others. Alan Culpepper is the New Testament professor and he says this, Jesus blesses those whom he calls to serve, you and me, and they are equipped for their mission by what they've experienced in, in the scripture that even the demons believe to them. God called them to go out. Jesus sends them. They do. They do exactly what Jesus asked them to do. They're like, wow, this is true. What he asked us to do, it can be done. What they've seen, what they've heard, that is always the experience of those who serve the Lord. And if you've ever been on a mission trip, you know this is true. Because there are things that happen on a mission trip that you cannot plan for. You, you, just, you just don't know. There are things that you don't know. And I'll never forget my first mission trip to Rio Bravo, Mexico, when we were building two casitas. And we simply took up a collection um, to buy the supplies for a home blessing. And, you know, my Spanish is not so good. My ability to translate from pesos to dollars is even less good, um, especially on, on an amount of money that I don't know what it is. But I can tell you this. There was 10 minutes left at Soriano's before we checked out. And we all ran to different things to bring things back to this home, to the two homes, to bless them. And we all just brought them to the counter as they were closing. They were turning off the lights. And Jay Wright, who was the leader of our trip, he took all the dollar bills and things that we had handed to him. And he gave them to the cashier. And the cashier gave him a receipt for three cents back. And we were right where God wanted us to be. Amen? That's how it works. We don't know how. It's not in our power. Nobody can claim that. So here's our action steps. You have two of them this week. Ask God to help you do something you could never do on your own. Not for your glory, but for his. That's what changes the world. Just ask God. And there are things that you've always wanted to do, but you've been afraid. You don't have to be afraid if God's in it. Go for it. To do something. But it's for His glory. And, and that's, that can be a little vague. So let, let me bring it really, really just straightforward for this week. At this time of year. Just as a reminder that you can change the world. Carry an extra bottle of water with you. To give to a stranger this week. Every time you leave the house. Get a bottle of water. You know. Hopefully it's icy cold. And when you see somebody... Give it to them. You might just save their life. I had a friend of mine go to the hospital yesterday because we had been out an hour in the morning. You can change the world. You're not that important. But you are to somebody. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.